Well, a very warm welcome this evening here on behalf of the Cathedral Church of the Advent and uh, welcome to Cranmer House. Uh, this event is uh, a second installment in a three-part series called the Arts and Culture Series uh, that I'm hosting. My name is Matt Schneider, by the way. I'm the canon for Parish Life and Evangelism at the Advent, um, which is just a fancy title for a minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, um, uh, and our, our guest this evening is Matt Redmond, uh, who's the author of this book, uh, The God of the Mundane, Reflections on Ordinary Life for Ordinary People. Um, and I'm just going to read to you before we get started, um, just to explain one thing, two things, the book and something else. The second paragraph on the very back of the book. This is a book about pastors, plumbers, dental hygienists, and stay-at-home moms. It finds grace and mercy in chicken fingers, smiles from strangers and classic films, and ultimately convicts us of something Matt Redman has learned uh, himself. There is a God of the mundane, and it's not about what we do for him. It's about what he does for us. So I read that not only to give you a primer on the book, but also to explain why there are chicken fingers this evening. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. I perfect. thought that that would be uh, fun. So we can, we can change the title of the event to Grace and Mercy and Chicken Fingers. <laughs> uh, just a couple of housekeeping notes. Um, if you have a cell phone, can you please silence it? Um, we're recording this talk, and you'll be the person on the recording whose phone rings forever um, saved for our files. Um, and also, if you haven't been here before, we do have restrooms. They're hard to find, but they're upstairs. If you go down the hallway and turn right in that little stairwell, the, the restrooms are up there. You'll find them. Uh, and just so you know, what we'll do, uh, Matt and I will talk for about 30 minutes or so, kind of an interview, and he'll do some reading, and then we'll, uh, we'll try to open it up to some Q&A, and I hope that we'll end by about 8 o'clock. Does that sound good? Um, Okay, well, Matt. <laughs> Matt interviewing Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, I know, just to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Who's, who is Matt Redman? Um, By the way, does it annoy you that you're confused? At least I did with the worship leader, Matt Redman. It's spelled differently, <laughs> just so you know. Do you all know 10,000 reasons? Um, does that annoy you? <laughs> um, it, it, it can be unnerving sometimes. I'll tell you one story to kind of demonstrate how confusing this can be. About five or six years ago, um, because of some other writing that I had done, um, I was gaining you know, friends on Facebook, Twitter followers, things like that. Well, um, a, uh, a young lady from um, New Zealand who was Kiwi contacted me and wrote me this long note about how powerful and meaningful my music was and how they had translated so many of my songs into the Kiwi language. And she just wanted, she was so thankful that she had found me after looking and wanted to tell me what it meant for their church. How do you respond to that, <laughs> Reverend Cannon? Because I don't know. I, I, I don't you're remember. You're responding Kiwi. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So um, who is Matt Redmond, M-O-N-D? Well, I'm from Birmingham, um, so this is great. Uh, I mean, there's people in this in this room who are from different even parts of my life. Uh, a little did I know, uh, Phil Johnson is here, who his son and I were in youth group together at a Baptist church where my dad served 
over in the Roebuck area uh, back in the 80s. And um, so I grew up here in Birmingham on the north side of town, wrong side of the tracks, and um, uh, went to, uh, finished at Southeastern Bible College, ended up going to Covenant Seminary. Before, before that, I met my wife and uh, did youth ministry for a number of years um, and other ministry. And now I work at Regions Bank over at the corner of Lakeshore and Oxmoor, where I was like, I know you, I know you, I know you. And that's because I've seen, I've seen you in there. Yeah. And um, three things that I know that you were just obsessed with are baseball, the war on drugs, and tall yingling pants. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the war on drugs, he means the band. Um, like the Reagan era. Yeah, not the Reagan era. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I really have no opinion on that one so much as the band, but yeah. Um, that's true. That's true. And right now, I'm probably racking up some fantasy points. Actually, I'm not. I don't have any players today. Do I? Me and David play fantasy baseball together. So, um, so yes, I love all those things a whole lot. And the baseball team is the Cardinals. Cardinals. Yeah. Um, and so you wrote a book, and this is the first event that you're doing I, related to it. Yeah. It's published in 2012, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, on a serious note, um, it's kind of it's funny, but it's a serious note that, um, you know, if you write a book trying to convince people that God loves ordinary life and God moves in ordinary life and God changes people through ordinary life and 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 you write a book trying to get people to buy into that idea and it is a it's probably just a dangerous book, dangerous thing to write a Christian book anyway. But God will, I promise you, if you write that book, He will make sure you really believe it. Um, because, you know, I, it, it's it's done pretty well for a, a book with no publishing. We, we decided to go with no, we thought it would kind of fight against the, the, the premise of the book if we got a bunch of endorsements. So we didn't do it, we didn't even seek any endorsements. Um, um, at least that I know of. We talked about it, but it never happened. And, um, and we decided let's just not do, do that. And it, it's done really well, but I, I did an interview with a guy who uh, had a podcast about books um, who was in Greece at the time, I believe. Really? An American in Greece. An American in Greece at the time. And um, uh, so, yeah, this is the first book event. Wow. We're honored. Yeah. No, I, I I can't believe y'all came out for this. I mean, I, I'm sitting here going, I'm sitting here go, you know, because today I, I, I had, you know, just a customer yell at me. So I'm, I'm, I'm so, you know, I'm like, I'm like, you know, it is, it's, it's, it's strange that I had a customer yell at me today and then y'all come up to hear me talk about my book. That's just so odd. That's so, well, so. Um, just to give you a better understanding to give everyone else a better understanding of the book you have a passage about uh your veterinarian mm-hmm. read. yeah yeah i'll find that do you really want to quick. say anything about that before you start or just let it speak for itself um you know when you're when you're writing um i don't know how your memory works but i i, I remember where i was when the idea for this chapter uh, came about. I'll kind of back up. I started writing this book actually in 2010. 
early 2010. It just started with some blog posts. And those actually kind of caught a little bit of momentum. And so I started writing more along that idea. I was working as a pastor at the time. And um, I had already signed the contract for the book in late 2010, I believe. That's right. Or maybe, or, or no, it was 2011. And I was like, oh my gosh, now I've got to come up with all these chapters that I didn't have. And I only had a few. And this one, I'm over by the Target in uh, Hoover, over in that area. And I just remember it, this dawning on me. So I'm going to read from uh, chapter 6, which is called Of Pastors and Plumbers. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just a little bit. We have this cat, and his name is Auburn University Redman. <laughs> we call him Albie. God rest in peace. He's, he's gone on ahead of us. That is, unless we are mad at him, then the full name flies out of our mouths like bullets screaming for their marks. That's happened a lot. Albie has spent a lot of time in trouble. He has fought dogs, cats, and who knows what else. He has jumped from 40 feet up, down to the ground, and then has run like the wind itself to hold counsel under the neighbor's house. Yes, he has spent more time than his fair share at the vet. Not too long ago, my wife had to take our wayward cat to spend some time with the vet. He had a lot of... The vet had a lot of recommendations for medications, treatments, supplements, and dietary changes. They are expensive, and none were needed in the strictest sense of the word. Now, I think our veterinarian is a nice man, and every single idea he had for the health of my cat came from his love for animals, for cats, even especially my cat. And this is the problem. My veterinarian, my cat's doctor, is more concerned about the cat than me. He did not become a doctor to animals, I'm sorry, because he cared about their owners. I've no doubt he cares about the owners. I'm, I'm just not sure that is his passion. So my guess is he has a very specific vision for the health of my cat, but not really for my bank account. Veterans care about, uh, I'm sorry, vet, veterinarians care only about one specific part of the household, the pet part. Doctors are probably the same way, as well as lawyers and accountants and plumbers and landscape architects and interior designers. Plumbers aren't thinking, well, if they can get this cheap pipe, they won't have great pipes, but they will be able to afford to go out and eat this month. Plumbers are passionate about piping and water flowing. Veterinarians are passionate about animal health. Farmers are passionate about vegetables. Lawyers are passionate about people having wills. The tendency is for all of us to have the expectation for everyone else to be passionate about what we are passionate about. We think what is front and center for us should be front and center for everyone else. Plumbers have trouble understanding why I don't worry much about water pressure. Veterinarians think I should care about animals more. Potato farmers think I should eat more potatoes. Lawyers think I should understand the law better. And pastors think everyone is not passionate enough about their faith like they are. I know this because I'm a pastor and I've been one for years. My life, my life revolves around studying the Bible, being at the church's meeting place, talking about theology, connecting all the dots for people, planning church events, and attending them and serving at them. It took me years to realize that this is my life as a pastor and not the life of anyone else. The life of everyone else is very different. It is full of all those things we are tempted to label as mundane in the spiritual stratosphere. Sure, every Christian has to deal with these things to a degree, but they are not the rhythm of their day-in and day-out lives as it is for a pastor. Of course, plumbers should care about the Bible and theology and what is going on at the church. And it is good for them to have a desire to serve their congregation. But a pastor does all these things because he is a pastor. It is his vocation. A plumber makes sure our pipes are working and our toilets are flushing. It is his vocation, his calling. But the problem is that we sometimes 
is that sometimes we pastors tend to forget this. We forget our calling is different from the calling of those we teach and counsel. We push back against the effects of the fall through ministry of the word, through counseling and preaching, studying and leading. Plumbers push back the effects of the fall through fixing leaky pipes. Teachers do it through making sure children learn how to count and read and write. Bankers push back the fall with safes and loans and small businesses. Farmers with combines and turn rows. Librarians with organized shells full of wonder and adventure and beauty. Baristas with coffee, muffins, and smiles. Ducks push back, I'm sorry, cooks push back with duck a l'orange, chicken masaman, and pizza. Homemakers with clean floors, changed diapers, and home-cooked meals. Artists push back the fall with songs and paintings and pictures and stories. All of it is a pushing back of the fall itself. When we who are subjects of the king live out his rule and reign wherever we are, we push against the insurrection of sin with all its corruption, lies, and ugliness. Can you um, say something about that? Um, yeah. Why you chose that passage? Well, it was really one of those self... Um, um, condemning moments for me. It wasn't a situation where somebody had really done that to me. I just realized that I had done it to everybody else. Um, when I was doing youth ministry in uh, a little town in Mississippi called Greenwood, which we love and love the people there, um, I, I, these were some very busy, busy people for it to be such a small town. Every kid played like four sports. I'm the youth minister. Right. And so, I mean, some nights I'd have 40 on Wednesday nights, and then I'd have four. Or one night it was two. So we went and got Sonic and um, instead of having Bible study and just talked. And I used to be so mad about those things. And um, it, it dawned on me later as I got older and was kind of beat up by life a little bit in ministry that um, I was looking at those things as secular and unspiritual and unimportant and uh, not good things. Good things got in the way of what I thought were spiritual things. And, um, and I, I, was, I was completely wrong about that because that was probably the most pure spiritual community I've ever been a part of. Um, they don't need small groups. I mean... Small town, smaller church. Everybody's in everybody's business all day long, um, in a good way too. And um, and and we loved it and uh, love it still. So that was kind of was kind of a lot of what was going on behind. Talk to you about that. the the phrase "push back the effects of the fall." Is that something that you've kind of coined? That comes up in your book, especially in that paragraph. That I don't before. think I coined it. I, that's too good of for me that's to have coined it. I'm sure I borrowed that. I'm pretty sure I borrowed it from, um, there's a singer uh, that I've been listening to since college named Bill Maloney, and I think on one of his songs off the Welcome to Struggleville album, he talks about pushing back the fall. I think that's right. Something like that. But that's where I was probably where I got it from, even if it's not the same language. So what do you mean by that? I mean, uh, I mean that... There are two two things that we see because of the fall. We see we see our our, our sin our, our sin problem, and then the effects of sin problem. That's probably the easiest way for us to talk about it. 
And so the sin problem um, is, is, is almost kind of the, the given. Um, and, um, but when, say, a plumber is doing his job, whether it's a busted pipe or whatever, busted pipe is a result of the fall. And so, and so by him fixing that pipe and doing a good job and charging a fair price and being kind while he does it and, and making the wife who is at home by herself feel comfortable, all those things are a pushing back of the fall, I think, because all those things, whether it's unfair uh, pricing or not doing it well, all those things would be a result of the fall too. And so for him to do those well or for her to do those well would be, would, would, would be what I mean. Um, and I feel like your book is, especially like what you're talking about right there in this passage, is a response to, of course, like what you were saying and feeling as a pastor, but kind of a larger movement or a larger rhetoric in Christianity. Would you say that's true? And how would you characterize that? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of tell you a story. Okay. I had a, um, uh, a young mother um, who was somebody I knew, I'd known since high school and um, uh, she had said um, even though she was homeschooling and her husband was working a number of different jobs um, very involved in her church a good neighbor just a generous person you know the kind of person that sends you a note you know for no reason and um, uh, and she just she said I just don't feel like I'm doing enough and I knew where that came from. I knew exactly where that came from and um, explicitly knew where that came from. And that, that kind of broke my heart uh, for her. Where did um, it come from? Well, it came from the, the, the kind of the do more, sell everything movement. The um, kind of equating a superior super spirituality with a ministry that says, I'm going to quit my job, sell everything, and go overseas or go live in the inner city. And those are great things. I mean, people who do those deserve our respect and um, our support. But that was kind of that was kind of becoming a model. I don't know if it is now, but it was. It was for a while. Yeah, there was there was certainly a trend. And I, and I taught that. I mean, I, 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 I you know, I, I talk about that in the book that I actually have said the – if I did not say it explicitly, I certainly led people to believe it. And I feel like it's not only just that um, sort of movement in the church, but like the whole world is kind sure. of communicating that message, right? I mean, sure. the world is about power and success. And, you know, you're talking about plumbers and broken pipes. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it's funny, when I, when I wrote that chapter, I realized while I'm reading that, I told Matt uh, the uh, one time we talked. I was like, he he read me a part of the book, and I was like, okay, I'm sure I wrote that, but I haven't really read my book right. since I edited it. <laughs> I didn't remember it, and and I was reading this today, and I'd forgotten that I had used the example of a banker. First of all, I would have changed that and I would have said vault, not safes, because it's a vault at a bank. Now you know that. But now I know this because right. I work at a bank. That'll be in the second. But that was a very. But I, I'd, I'd, I'd forgotten that I had done that, and um, and that was very. Uh, um. You, I mean, you've had. Um, I mean, not only have you communicated uh, 
that message of do more, try harder yourself, and you admit to that and seem to be repentant of it and have moved on. But you, you're acutely, you felt it on the other end, right? I mean, you've had some, some trying times with the church. Can you talk through that at all? Yeah. Um, there's this, a couple different. This book came out like when you were in the midst of that, right? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I wrote everything in the book except for the introduction while I was still a pastor. And then I went back and I asked my publisher if I could add another chapter, add that introduction. And um, uh, so, yes, some very difficult times. Um, When I wrote it for, I kind of had a few different people in mind. I had pastors in mind, pastors in very small kind of insignificant places. Um, and again, I was thinking about a place like Greenwood, Mississippi, which most of you in this room may never go through, may never know about Westminster Presbyterian Church and what a great community that is and the pastors that will serve there over the years. And um, so I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, but I was thinking about, you know, moms who don't ever feel like, you know, who are mired in the day in and day out of changing diapers and taking care of their kids and cleaning up and, you know, you sick kids. You said your target audience is a stay-at-home mom. And the guy who feels stuck in yeah, his job. Right? Yeah, yeah, and so, And so I wrote it for myself in some ways because I, I wanted to believe it as a pastor. I, I, I believed it as a pastor. And, but, but I, you know, I, of course, wanted that to be true. And then I realized that once it was being published, I was the other guy. I was the guy stuck at the job. Um, and, and I don't say that for any kind of pity's sake. I say that because, again... <laughs> God wanted me to believe what I actually wrote, and um, uh, you know, and, and so since you and I talked last night, I did a lot of thinking about um, some of the things we talked about and talked about when we got together uh, a couple months ago. And um, uh, one of the you know the things I've had to to, to kind of reconcile with is how much do I believe this? It's easy to believe this. This meaning the the point the, of the, the book, book. because because there's a, there, there there's two different kinds of mundane I realized there's the mundane compared to spiritual the spiritual vocational ministry so so believing that your work outside of vocational ministry is meaningful to God even if it's not strictly spiritual there's that message but then there's also the message of what if you're you know what if what if you're in a really really small stuck dead end job? And so now you work at a bank. Yeah. Um, what's that like? And for how long have you been at the bank? I have been at the bank for three and a half years. Um, six months in, I started applying like crazy to get out, and I have not stopped in three. Probably, um, I am not a natural banker. I was the last person in long division in fourth grade. I had to take algebra one twice and part of algebra two twice. Um, so I, I'm not a natural businessman. I'm 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 more likely to. I know this is gonna be recorded, but I should probably be honest and say it. I'm more likely to go. You know, you can get a better rate down the road. Uh, um, but uh, 
so I've had to, I've, you know, I've had to buy in because I do feel there is, there is still that feeling of, of, of being stuck. Um, so you're like, uh, um, you're like uh, on the other side. Like this was the medicine for that that person, and now you're on, the tables have been turned, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, yeah. walk me through that. Like, what's that like? I mean, you're, well, uh, okay, I'll, I'll tell you kind of two, two different stories to tell you what it's like. It's probably the best way to communicate it. The first story is sitting across from a former boss and her asking me, how many checking accounts are you going to get over the next couple months? Uh, and me going, what do you talk? How do, how do I even answer that? You know, I, I had no idea how to answer that question. She was just frustrated because I was not a very good banker. Like she um, wanted a quota. She wanted a quota, yeah. Um. And uh, and then about two or three weeks ago, I mean, this is just one story. Two or three weeks ago, a young lady who I could tell was not uh, um, American sat down in front of me with an older lady who was. And I was like, what is this situation? Both of them just seemed really subdued. And I, I you know, something just wasn't adding up here. And so I just I'm kind of talking with them. Needs to open and the the young lady needs to open an account. She's from the Far East, um, and come to find out that um, she uh, she was 23 years old with a two-year-old, and she was a seven-day widow. She'd been a widow for about a week, and um, uh, and so you know you have those opportunities in which to be kind and to to be patient and to kind of walk them through some things and to give them some advice that can be helpful. And um, it came out in our conversation, you know, I've gotten kind of skillful at, you know, ask, you know, getting to the point, of, you know, if they have, uh, if they're a believer or not. And they were, and so we were able to talk about that and um, a little bit. And so, so that kind of, those are kind of two different stories that kind of show you the stuckness of it. But the fact that it can be a place where, um, where I can actually, I can kind of push back the fall, yeah. Like you're still doing ministry to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you least expect it. I have a couple. Pa- I have a couple customers that call me pastor. Really? Yeah. It's kind of a idea? joke. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, they know. Yeah. Oh yeah, they know. Um, you've said at some point in your life, I won't work in ministry anymore. Do you still? feel that way <laughs> um like formal I, yeah oh i did i did when i when we walked away when me and my wife said we're done um the idea was to never go back um we've kind of we we've kind of changed our minds on that about a year and a half ago we really tear-filled conversation sitting on our couch talking about that and um you know feeling that that call was probably not um revocable and uh, and so I've interviewed with a number uh, of different churches, but nothing has really panned out. Uh, we like being in Birmingham. That's, that has a lot to do with it. Um, we have really close friends. Um, one is here tonight, David, back here, and um, that we don't want to move away from. And um, so we're we're just kind of being patient right, right. now. Um, I get contacted every now and then. Generally, every time I go, I'm never going back. You know, I have that week. And then somebody calls me, asks me every year or something, you know. So, I, 
Um, this is kind of the new feeling over probably the last six months to a year, but I think if, if somebody had to ask, Matt, you could, you could have the life of a writer um, or the life of a pastor, which would you go to? I, I think I would have to answer to go back to being a pastor because, um, again, I just don't, I think we've learned that um, it's not, it's an irrevocable call on uh-huh. me. And it's felt like being in the belly of a whale. What do you mean by that? It's like Jonah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, whether we made a good decision or not, I, I don't know. But, <clears throat> um, you know, another lesson, I, I, I did an interview for Modern Reformation magazine recently that's going to be in their magazine coming up um, in the, the summer. And one of the questions they asked me is they asked me, what would you do different about this book now that you didn't do then? I, well, we've been through that belly of the well period. Yeah. And um, that's both parents passing away. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, um, uh, you know, I told you about, you know, my, you know, my daughter. We're not sure, you know, if if she's, you know, they go back and forth between whether she has the most severe form of ADD that anybody's ever seen, or is it Asperger's or, or something like that. So, um, uh, so we, um, yeah, it's been a. a, a a time which which we feel like we have suffered with a purpose um, that has kind of pushed us back to wanting to to minister to people in have, that. And I mean, and that was the question for Modern Reformation: What would you do differently about your book? You could always ask a writer that, and the writer yeah. always have an answer. Yeah, yeah. Is there another writing project down the road? Do you have any irons in the fire? I do. Um, I'm kind of slowly. It was supposed to be supposed to be done by beginning of April. It's probably going to be April next year, maybe. <laughs> I, t- I told my editor. I said I didn't say which April. Right. Yeah. Um, April Fools. Yeah. I, I, um, it's going to be in some ways. It's kind of becoming maybe a little bit of a part two mm-hmm. um, called the God of of All My Tomorrows. Um, me and my wife had a, a long discussion one night about the fact that all the fear and all the difficulty we went through and all those things, everything had to do with what's coming, you know, the fear of what's coming. And, um, and so uh, we, um, so a blog post came out of that, some writing came out of that. And, um, and so that, so that's kind of what I'm working on. It's tentatively called the God of all my tomorrows, a memoir of worry. Um, but it may be changed to a memoir of fighting worry or something like that. Um, well, before I open it up to audience Q&A, uh, you said that over the last three years, your final chapter has taken mm-hmm. a new life and for you. Yeah. Um, do you want to introduce that and then read whatever portion of it is that you're going to yeah. read? Yeah. Um, I did not know this. When I wrote this book, of course, if you've ever thought about writing or creating anything, whether it's music or anything that you're going to put out there, your your dreams tend to be these dreams of grandeur, you know, fame and fortune and things like that. And uh, well, that didn't happen. <laughs> but what did happen is is you get Facebook messages and emails from all over the world. Um, how that happens? How does a guy in Sweden 
find this book. And then he probably thought I was the singer. <laughs> which, is, which has happened. Which has happened. 10,000 reasons and this. Major conversion. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, um, uh, by and large, the last chapter has been the one that, that I hear from, from people about the most. Um, and it's usually people who have been just very discouraged that things did not, they either were not as successful. Uh-huh. Um, I've heard from a lot of young people who didn't get into the programs that they wanted to get in in school or grad school. And because um, they had, you know, they were kind of thinking about doing something really, really special in their life. And um, so so the title of the last chapter is uh, Be Nobody Special. And um starts like this. Some people read books carefully like the rich sip tea. Me, I'm a biker in a sports bar without a napkin. I tear through books like a hungry college student on wing night. Because of this, I miss things. My comprehension is weird. I can recall passages and see them on the actual page like I just sat the book down. But very often, I'll be reading a book for the third time and see something, a scene, for instance, and it is wholly new to me. Virgin literary territory, untouched by my eyes. It's because I read so fast, just not well. Earlier this year, I read book five of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Horse and His Boy. I've been reading these books for years, since I was a young boy. My mind swims in the scenes of Narnia, but I don't read them for intellectual stimulation. I'm still that young boy. Does it happen to everyone who rereads books over and over? I'm doing the revved up reading version of of left hand turns at Talladega and a scene makes me sit up and take notice. I actually look at the cover to see if this is the version I'm most familiar with, like they would have added this chapter later, when no one was looking. There's a scene that includes a short speech by the hermit of the Southern March. He is talking to Bree, the talking horse, who is on his way to Narnia after being in slavery along with so many non-talking horses. My good horse, said the hermit, my good horse, you've lost nothing but your self-conceit. No, no, cousin. Don't put back your ears and shake your mane at me. If you are really so humbled as you sounded a minute ago, you must learn to listen to sense. You're not quite the great horse you had come to think from from living among poor dumb horses. Of course you are braver and more cleverer than them. You could hardly help being that. It doesn't follow that you'll be anyone very special in Narnia. But as long as you know you're nobody special, you'll be a very decent sort of horse, on the whole, and taking one thing with another. Here is a message never once heard out in the real world, from the pages of a children's book read by millions, but repeated by no one. A call rings out into a sky where everyone is to be the star and no one is to be the blackness behind it. This is the message you will never hear in schools, TV commercials, or churches. In fact, you will hear the the very opposite. You are special is the mantra. The idea is everyone is really, really special. And to a point, I suppose it is true. We all have different hues of character. All are marked by varied memories peculiar to our lives. Physical and emotional buoys signal deep waters of places only we have explored. And so we buy in. But if everyone is special, then no one is special. So then, the cor- so then, of course, the goal is to be more special by doing special, specialized things, distinguishing ourselves. 
Schools tell us you are innately special, so do something special and change the world. The commercials declare you are special by our product, change the world. And the evangelical churches? Well, there are two kinds of pastors in the main. Those who speak at conferences with green rooms, they have green rooms, and those who want to do so. The men who lead our churches into faithfulness have little gremlins tugging at their ego, telling them they are not doing anything special unless they are being distinguished. How could they possibly have any other message besides one in which the listener walks away with the purpose of doing something special to change the world, all for the glory of God? I mean, who would want to be a person no one has ever heard of? What kind of person just goes about their business in this rock star culture? What pastor or pew-sitter wants to remain nameless in year-in and year-out obscurity when fame and reputation and notoriety are ripe for the picking? Why would you be a Greta Garbo dodging the public when there's YouTube? But I say be nobody special. Do your job, take care of your family, clean your house, mow your yard, read your Bible, attend worship, pray, watch your life and doctrine closely, love your spouse, love your kids, be generous, laugh with your friends, drink your wine heartily, Eat your meat lustily, be honest, be kind to your waitress, expect no special treatment, and do it all quietly. The zeitgeist of this age is we should let nothing stop us from being special. And especially vulnerable to these sermons are the young people who, after a semester of college, are now experts. Sacred and secular alike, the proclaimers of this message are nothing if not earnest, and it is not hard to imagine why. Tell someone, telling someone they are not special sounds cruel. I understand, but I disagree. The you're nobody special message may be the most freeing message of all, especially for those who have the banner of mundane flying kite high over their life. Now you can just be yourself. Over against being the abstract special, you can land on the hard concrete reality of being yourself. Only more so. No need to be the pie-in-the-sky version of someone else's idea of what special is. You can now just love God, love others, and be nobody. And as long as you know this, you're nobody special, you'll be a very decent sort of horse on the whole and taking one thing with another. Well, uh, we have a a few minutes to open the floor up for Q&A, and I hope some of you will ask some questions. Um, We have a mic that will float around. Because we're recording it, it'll pick um, your voice up better. Yeah, Fran. Matt, thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a message you just, we don't hear. So I appreciate that. I'm curious about how much you, or whatever you feel comfortable telling us about what led you into the business world and getting the sense that it's probably temporary. How do you think you will look back on this time that you had at the bank? Those are good questions. Um, So first question is, is how did I get to the business world? Mm -hmm. And um, the second question is how I'll look back on this time in the business world. Those are actually really good questions. Um, the first one is I was burnt out. Um, at the first church I was at doing youth ministry, me and the, the lead pastor just butted heads on everything. And he was probably right some of the time and sometimes he was not. But it was just 
we were miserable. We just didn't have any friends at this church, and and we it was it was really really hard for us. With um, it's hard for my wife, and it was really hard for me. And uh, we saw a lot of fruit from the ministry, a lot of fruit, and um, still get to see that fruit in some of the students that I still interact with through Facebook and Twitter and things like that. Um, uh, the next church was um, uh, when I went to Greenwood, Mississippi. And um, uh, at that church, uh, the pastor was asked to resign from that church, the one who brought me on. I was there by myself for a while. Um, I mean, youth, I was a youth pastor. I mean, I, I, I never shaved. I wore shorts every day because it was the Mississippi Delta, and I ate pizza like every meal. <laughs> and I'm in charge. I'm basically the only person on staff at this church. And um, um, left there, went to a church in Wichita, Kansas. And my, my main ministry of, of my main memory of how I felt about about ministry there. This was a a large church, 120 youth when I got there. And then I was at, I was tasked with starting a college and singles ministry, and I had a, I mean I had a staff to help me with all this. My main memory of how I felt about that youth ministry was I just want to go lay down with Sam Adams, <laughs> um, and listen to Billie Holiday all day. That's all I wanted to do. I, I was just I, I never saw my wife and kids. I was so busy all the time. I was just miserable. Came back to Birmingham. Was at a church, and during an elders' meeting, uh, the pastor of that church resigned in a rage over some issues, and um, uh, that church is no longer actually. Um, and that was pretty much when we decided we got to we got we got to get out to save our family and our san- our own sanity. Uh, so that's how I got there. Uh, how I got how I got to the business world is applying for dozens and dozens and dozens of jobs, and wouldn't you know, the business world is not after people who can read Koine Greek. Um, it is really amazing that they don't and um, uh, they don't they don't prize that. And my ability uh, to intake a lot of pizza has not <laughs> helped at all either. So uh, a friend of mine from college, I ran into him at a work play at a concert, and um, uh, he said, "Well, call me if you don't find anything." And that's how I got the job at Regions Bank. So um, what have I learned? Um, I I would hope. Um, that I would be a lot kinder pastor. Um, I have kind of a, a suspicion um, that when when I when I send in my resume and I look at a job description, that a lot of the time they're looking for somebody who can lead people to different places in ministry and and you know and organizationally as a pastor, whether it's youth ministry or not. Um, and I, I, I've come to see youth, uh, ministry being more bedside manner than anything. Um, and a lot of that's probably because because I've needed that. I mean, me and my wife have needed that. Um, uh, I, I would probably be more in tune with the idea that there are probably people who sit at their desk on the day that they get what we think is possibly a diagnosis of Asperger's for their daughter and you've you've just lost a parent and your and one of your superiors calls you a Debbie Downer. You know. So hopefully I would be a lot kinder is the is the short answer. You know, and, and, and that and you know, they they didn't know all these things were going on. You know, that's not to say that those people were bad they didn't know all that was going on. Um 
Uh, so, you know, my, my hope is, is that I would do... I mean, I felt it in ministry to do this and it, to, to try to get people to go to a different place. You know, you're trying to move them along a, a rail almost. And, 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 and it's um, uh, instead of me moving to them... And, 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 you know, I, I, I was probably not very good at that. And so I'm, I'm very thankful for this time. Because um, uh, I, have, I, have I mean, I have a lot of regrets in ministry. And so I'm very thankful for this time. It's a great question, though. Holly? Um, so just thinking of having been in the inner circles of the church and seeing... Um, that sin is a part of every person and knowing intimately that sin is a part of church as well, I wondered what it's been like for you to be a part of the congregation again and what reflections you have on, I mean, talking about not wanting to necessarily always be on this mission to move people from right. one place to another. What would you hope from a church and from church leaders and what would you hope from and for the congregation. Okay. Stay one. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. No, those are great questions. Um, the the first question I'm, I'm right is that you know now that I'm part of a congregation, um, how has that played out? Now that I'm on the other side, um, I when we when we left ministry, we went to Oak Mountain Prez because we knew we could go there and heal for a few months. We knew the staff there. It's a big church. That's where me and my wife met. And we could tell them, do not ask us to move a single chair or anything. We, we, we need to, to not do anything. And sometimes, sometimes we just didn't even go. And I know it may blow some of your minds, but that was probably the best thing that we did because we had to go <laughs> every week. My wife had to go because she's the pastor's wife. And I had to go every week. And and it was so freeing to not go that it made us want to go again in a way that I did not expect. And um, we, we, we didn't stay at Oak Mountain because it was just too far. We live in Bluff Park. And so uh, we ended up at a church that actually was just as far, if not further, in Helena. <laughs> so that was dumb. But it was a great church. And I loved the pastor as a friend of mine. But everybody there is, is, is from Helena, except for us. And so we, we, so then we said, okay, we're going to go to the closest church we can find. That, that we, you know, we wanted to be in a PCA church. And so we ended up at Cross Creek Church, which has been a very soft place for us to fall. Um, I, I honestly, and I'm not just saying that because Ben is here from Cross Creek, but it, it, it has been a place where not only have they been patient with us, but they have been encouraging and kind and, um, uh, I mean, in a very singular way. I just cannot imagine being in a community where people have just reached out to us in such a kind way, and um, uh, so it's been really good for us. I can see how it would not go good for people, though. I can see that it would be very difficult. Um, if 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 I had to say something to pastors, though, in this situation, and again, I, I wouldn't say I would I would 
I would say this not because of what I've heard, but because of what I've said. I would say to pastors, um, and my pastor loves my book. He he embarrasses me sometimes with how much he talks nicely about it uh, from the pulpit and elsewhere. Um, I I would say for people who have kind of been beat up by the church and people who've been through kind of what I've been through and seen what I've seen, I would say you're you're never going to win them with arguments, but you are going to win them with patience. If you if you just listen and wait, um, and Chris is, I mean, a model of, of that. I mean, our pastor is just a good, good listener and just a patient guy. Um, and so, I, uh, you know, I, did that answer all your questions? Was there more? Ask me a follow-up because I feel like I'm not hitting everything. <laughs> there were a few, like, sub- that's questions. How I, that's how it feels at home. <laughs> <laughs> did I did I did I get everything? Did I get everything? Did I hit everything? <laughs> I, th- I mean, I think you you did said I, a lot it? there, um, and um, um, golly, I, I I know I'm going to be processing this for a little while, um, and um, I, I I think for the second time, that, that, that's a good word to end on. Um, thank you. Yeah. So much. Um, for, for your book and for being here tonight. Um, Thank you all. I'm still kind of like, this This is crazy that, that you all would come so, listen to you me. Know, and talk one about thing I'll, I'll say about Matt's book um, and what I was hoping for this event is the book for me is Pastoral Care. And I hope uh, that this evening has been pastoral care for you. Sometimes it feels just, um, I mean, it's just nice to hear someone who actually understands what life is really like. Um, and so just um, hearing you talk through some things in a way that um, just really gets it um, has been pastoral to me. So I hope well, that, thank you. Um, that you all felt that way too. So uh, thank you, Matt. Can we... Just a couple of last things before we do finally wrap up. That, that we do have some copies of *The God of the Mundane* here. If you want to uh, buy a copy, Cindy's over there, um, ready uh, to take your money. Um, and uh, we should have a pen floating around somewhere if you want Matt to sign it. Are you willing to do that? Sure. Can I just read to you? It's very awkward. The the autograph mm. in my book. <laughs> we were in Jay Clyde's. I don't even remember what I wrote. Uh-oh. What did I say? This is uh, most likely the most mundane autograph you will ever get. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a date. You want me to date it? <laughs> I, could pro- I could probably go back and... You signed it. Nobody special. Nobody special. I should have. I should have. Can I, can, I, can I tell one story about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I got a, a, a call from a lady who, who wanted to send me her copy of my book and get me to sign it and send it back. And she said, I'm going to send you another one because I want you to sign it, and I'm going to give it to a family member or something like that. And I got that message at about 7.30 one morning, on a weekday morning. 45 minutes later, I'm at the branch where I work, and somebody is going, Matt, you've got to do better about signing these documents. (laughs) And I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) 45 minutes after somebody's wanted me to autograph my, my book, I'm getting, you know, my chastised. I'm getting chastised for my signature. It was, it was really, it was really, it was really weird. It was really weird. Um, uh, 
well, uh, just so you know, there's one more event in this uh, series. Are you pointing out a question? Do you want to ask How a question? Oh, yeah, we were supposed to tell oh, yeah, a story. Yeah. Um, you can leave if you need to. Golly, it's so convoluted. Um, and well, this actually leads nicely into the last announcement that I'm going to make. Is that the next, uh, the, this relates, actually. Thank you. Uh, the next uh, guest we'll have for the Arts and Culture series is David Zoll, who uh, is the director of Mockingbird Ministries, which I'm a part of. And he just wrote a book called, um, um, I thought I had written it down, but um, I, I can remember it. A Mess of mess Help from the Crucified Soul of Rock and Roll. Um, well, there you go. That's enough that should entice you. But if that doesn't entice you alone, Cahaba Brewery is going to be providing beer, and uh, Davenport's is going to have some pizza here for us. How do I join Advent again? <laughs> we, have, we have some paperwork for you to sign. <laughs> um, and so how did Matt and I meet is uh, due to the Mockingbird Devotional, which is a book that we put out a couple years ago, which I contributed to. Um, the Advent's bookstore, thank you, Cindy, who's the manager, is one of the only, maybe one of two brick-and-mortar, or maybe the single brick-and-mortar store. It's the only one I know of that has my book. actually carries the book. And so he wanted to go see that for himself. And while he was there, he saw the Mockingbird devotional, picked up a copy of it. Am I telling it right, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, starting New Year's Day, I guess this was probably your um, New Year's resolution, or you just... You know, it's a devotional. It starts on January 1. So he started reading it and was quoting excerpts on his social media. He has a great social media presence. With It's funny. Um, so follow him on Twitter or uh, Facebook. And after someone starts linking to your site enough, you notice where the traffic's coming from. Um, and so Mockingbird started noticing this. And I said, holy smokes, Matt Redman the worship leader. <laughs> and I went to his Facebook page and on the cover image of Facebook is Regions Field, Birmingham. And I was like, I thought, I didn't think he lived in Birmingham, Alabama. And I realized it's spelled differently. It's a different guy. He has this book. Our bookstore picks it up. I picked it up, started reading it. And let me just read to you. And I was going to ask this with one of my questions is I wrote to you. In the email, I ended up getting his email address by asking people, does anybody know this guy? And Gil Cracky dug it up for me. Um, and I wrote to you a random email. Your book is life-giving. Uh, and you wrote, life-giving, question mark. That's about as high a compliment as I can imagine. There's a strangeness in hearing that, though. Always looking for something giving life and what has seemed like a country of death over the last couple of years for us. And he signed it Lazarusly. <laughs> which was which was really interesting because when you sent me that email, I mean, I mean, me and my wife were just, you know, every morning looking forward to that Mockingbird devotional because we just needed to hear that yeah. so much. I mean, it was, I mean, you know, I realize it's a small half page page devotional, but I mean, it's just that that's what was so amazing because it was life giving to us. So, well, there we go, um, and. Uh, yeah, so like I said, Dave's all May 7th here at Cranmer House, 7 p.m. Um, hopefully that event will be equally life-giving um, <laughs> through uh, some uh, Brian Wilson references and um, 
maybe a dash of the Beatles, who knows? Probably Michael Jackson, for sure. <laughs> and by the way, there will be beer and pizza, so you should come. I will be here. Yeah. You can come, come for on the that. pizza. Stay for the book. Uh, would you mind uh, closing us with a Be glad prayer? to. Be glad to. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Um, it is a, a, a good thing to be with uh, with believers, with those who trust in you, with those who look to you for life. Um, and we thank you for the goodness of, uh, of this gathering. Uh, thank you for how encouraging it is to me. And uh, Father, I pray for these people that you would... Um, through your word and by the power of your spirit that you would encourage them that they are loved um, not because of doing great things but because of the great thing that you have done in Jesus. And um, Father, I pray that you would take care of us all the rest of this week as we go our way tonight. I thank you for Matt and uh, that new friendship pray that you would be with Advent Church. I'm so excited to uh, get to know uh, this church better, and I pray your blessing upon their, their ministry to this city. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.